I was trained as a secretary. Um, so I used to work as a secretary for three years. And I did not very much enjoy that role. And um, not enjoying that role really led me into thinking about what I really want to do in my work life. And a lot of what I've learned in part as part of my secretarial work, I'm now researching from the other perspective. Welcome on board this ESCP flight to Knowledge. Our flight time today would be less than 30 minutes. The outside's temperature is abnormally high. A faculty member will be with you shortly to help you understand what impact their research can have on business and society. If you hear brace, brace, please pay extra attention as only science can alter our collision course. For this episode of Brace, the podcast about impactful research by ESCP Business School faculty, we talked to Kirsten Athis, who is a professor and chair of Organization and Human Resource Management on the Berlin campus. In her research, she deals with strategic human resource management, employee engagement, overqualification, and volunteering. She has published extensively in leading peer-reviewed journals. She also consults practitioners in the development and implementation of engagement strategies. Hi, Kirsten. Thank you so much for joining us for BRACE, the podcast about research for impact. Um, we want to get started getting to know you a little bit. And it's really interesting to meet our professors and learn about your life before you entered academia or before you joined ESCP. So could you tell us about maybe one of your first experiences in the workplace and how that had an impact on you? Great. Thank you for having me, Emily. Um, yes, one of my first experiences in the workplace was I was trained as a secretary. Um, so I used to work as a secretary for three years. And I did not very much enjoy that role. And um, not enjoying that role really led me into thinking about what I really want to do in my work life. And a lot of what I've learned in part as part of my secretarial work, I'm now researching from the other perspective. So what I did not enjoy about it was the lack of autonomy of very often, um, very low task variety, um, and many of the topics that I discuss now are around how to engage people and the importance of giving people autonomy and making sure that people fit into the roles that they're, that they're doing. Great. So you mentioned before that this work as a secretary, you actually came back to it again during your PhD thesis, if that's right. Could you tell me a little bit about what you found and what you were looking at specifically? Yes, it was uh, straight after the PhD. I was asked to contribute to a research project on secretarial work in the UK. And what we did is we interviewed secretaries about their work experience. And what's really interesting about that was that some of the secretaries we interviewed really enjoyed the work that they were doing. So they really perceived that they had a great fit between their skills, their needs, their ambitions, and the role that they were doing. And others were uh, kind of experiencing their work as very um, repetitive, and again, as um, not very um, challenging. So we kind of could see that, interestingly enough, between the time that I started to work as a secretary and the time that we did our, our research project, not much had changed mm. in terms of the secretarial work at that point of time. Great. And 
you mentioned a, a word just now that comes back very frequently in your work, and that's meaningfulness, and that's feeling a connection to one's job. I was wondering if you could dive a little deeper into that. What exactly is meaningfulness to you when we talk about it in the context of work? Meaningfulness for me is someone occupies a job where that person really feels they have an impact an impact in terms of um, the work they're doing on behalf of others, the impact that they have in terms of making the organization succeed, where they feel a connection to their work and an opportunity to bring in their strength. Mm -hmm. So that kind of combination, being fully able to immerse their own strength into the job, um, feeling a connection to the work that they're doing and having an impact on others is what I see as an important, meaningful part of work. We've kind of seen this aspect of meaningfulness be challenged lately. And with you, we've talked several times for the choice on different topics like quiet hiring, quiet quitting, these folks who've lost their connection to the workplace and are finding other outlets, whether by leaving the company or by perhaps moving within. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more um, about what you've seen in terms of you know, the impact of the pandemic, the overall uncertainty in the world of work today. How have these new ways of working in this context helped or changed things or had an impact on the work that you're doing? What we see is that the pandemic motivated many people to think what they really want to get um, from their life and also from their work life. So we see that in our research. We also see that when we teach um, executives um, that a lot of time, or a lot of people basically took the time to reflect about what should my next steps be so that they are fully in line with who I am and how I envision my future. And therefore, from the research that I'm doing, um, we, can, we can see that the pandemic had a very big influence um, in reshaping people's view of the world. And that, of course, then led to um, phenomena like the Great Resignation, mm -hmm. where a lot of people realized, hey, I'm in a job that maybe was meaningful at one point in my life, but things have developed, I've grown, I've maybe changed positions, and I've kind of lost track of what I really want to get out of my job. Um, and they took the, the pandemic as an opportunity to, to refocus and reshift. So let's have this podcast have a bit of impact and look at some of those findings that you have uh, uncovered around meaningfulness. What can leaders and employees both do to create a workplace that is meaningful and reestablish, if they've lost it, for example, this connection to their work? Of course, it's a very individual experience, right? So if I perceive my work as meaningful or not, it's totally up to me. So I cannot tell you experience your work as meaningfulness. You need to find that for yourself. But what leaders can do, they can, they can create a context where the likelihood that employees find meaningfulness is, is relatively high. So for me, the first thing that leaders should do is um, talk to the employees, either as part of like regular performance review conversations or ideally more often about whether they still feel the connection to the work, whether they still feel that they make an impact, that they see how their own work is helping the organization to, to succeed, and also discuss whether the skills, the values, the needs that the employee has, that he or she are able to bring that into the daily work environment. Because we facilitate, or we see so many changes happening. We see roles changing, we see structures getting flattened in organizations. So many employees change their jobs quite regularly, and therefore having that meaningful conversation uh, is quite important um, to, to establish whether the employee still feels connected to the organization. 
my advice to employees is actually the same thing. Um, if you feel that your work has changed so that you don't see yourself in the work anymore, that you feel something has got lost, talk to your line manager. What we see happening is a rebalance of power in the work environment. It used to be that organizations had a very strong power and could kind of decide whom to hire and whom not to hire. We now see that shifting so that organizations are forced to listen more to employees and to make sure that employees feel connected to the workplace. So my advice to employees is, if you feel that you've lost your meaningfulness, use the power that you have in the current environment to talk to your line managers and to tell your line manager what is missing, what maybe was better before that you don't see anymore, and then discuss very specific strategies on where you can be maybe moved in the organization or inside the organization where you are able to regain some of that meaningful work experience. So I'd always advise employees to have a conversation, an honest conversation, before actually starting to, to resign or starting to think about um, ending, ending the contract. And just asking this for a friend, what do you have any advice to help an individual try to under, uncover what is meaningful to them? I came across a conversation earlier that was talking about people in survival mode. Um, and it made me think of maybe perhaps a little bit to something you've seen working with freelancers, for example, who will have to move from client to client sometimes to make ends meet. Um, so whether it's someone who is in survival mode or maybe someone who's a bit lost, do you have advice for how to even approach to understand what's meaningful to you so that you can then have that conversation? Yeah. There is some research out there suggesting that one thing that helps us going back to childhood or our kind of early work experiences and reflect back on what made us get out of bed at that point of time. So what was it that made us choose a specific pathway? Where were we really, really like... Um, full on in, in, in a specific job. And I sometimes um, have exercises with my bachelor and master students and I ask them to think about what are moments where you are in the flow? You know, when you're able to completely detach from your environment, where you're so focused on getting the job done that you are actually experiencing meaningfulness because you enjoy that being in the flow. My experience is that very often younger people know where the meaningfulness and meaningfulness is. So they know what makes them tick. They know where they want to create impact. It often gets lost during our career path because still in organizations, there's like a structured view of what is a career, which is very often focused on you know, external factors like hierarchical levels, bonus salaries, visibility to the outside, and not focused on actually understanding what is it that we truly enjoy in our job. So if someone says, hey, I've lost my sense of meaningfulness, my first advice would be like, think back to maybe a few years earlier. What were the things that you felt you can get really immersed in? What were the situations when you were in the flow, when you're kind of completely able to forget your surroundings? And that might be a good clue um, to actually experiencing meaningfulness again. It sometimes means that we need to detach ourselves from objective career success measures. So maybe I experience in a meaningfulness in a job that is not as status driven as other types of jobs, that maybe doesn't have the career potential that other types of jobs have. Sometimes it's a question of 
talking to our own ego and saying, yes, visibility, status, money, bonus, I'm willing to give up some of that to experience meaningfulness in my work. So it's about having an honest conversation about what's maybe more important. Um, those two, like the extrinsic career factors and the, n the wish to experience meaningfulness, sometimes they are aligned, often they are, they are not. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have a moment where you experience flow in the work that you do or the path you've taken to get here? Um, I, I love teaching. I love uh, teaching um, executive classes when I get like lots of feedback from the participants and when I can see the direct impact of what I'm saying on organizations. So sometimes I teach and then I realize, oh my God, it's time for a break and I've almost kind of forgotten that there is supposed to be a break. And the other part where I really experience um, flow is when I analyze data. I love analyzing data. I love sitting in my little office at home and just like looking at, um, at the computer and seeing results pop up and kind of discovering the story behind the data that I've collected. So these are, for me, the most important facets of experiencing or the most important opportunities to experience flow in my own work. So through your research, you're able to understand why these things are happening. But the other question that I'm sure a lot of managers, human resource professionals, which is your, your link in the business world through what you teach at ESCP, they're asking how, what can we do you know, with this context? How can we operate? And when you do your research, from what I've understood, you often consult practitioners in the development and successful in, uh, implementation of these different strategies. Do you feel that your research can have impact in the world of work? Absolutely. Um, my research is focused on human resource management related topics and I cover most of the current phenomenon in my, in my, in my research. So we take a look at um, yeah, meaningfulness at work, we take a look at how also employees outside normal work routines like freelancers experience their work environment and from the discussions I have with the practitioners in the interviews but also through like bigger data collection as part of questionnaires, we're able to drive knowledge on what drives people, for example, to experience meaningfulness in their work, what drives people to be satisfied, what drives people to also decide, hey, I want to resign because I don't like my job anymore. And those recommendations that are data-driven or data-based are something that I share with my participants in my executive classes that I talk about, that I'm happy to publish about, because I believe that if we develop strategies that are research-based and data-driven, we're able to give some guidance to managers on what they can do maybe in their day-to-day -day work mm -hmm. to improve the meaningfulness of people um, that are part of the team. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, leads me to two questions. The first one, I would love to get a little more deep into how you maintain this link with practitioners. I can only imagine sometimes in academia and when you're looking at large data sets, you can become separated from the humans you're actually looking at. Is there a, a mindset that you approach to your research or you apply to your research or any kind of guidance or practices you put in place to make sure that you don't lose this human link and this uh, connection to the real world? Yeah in what you do? Um, because part of my research is interview-based. Like I go into the field and I talk to people um, and I get their insights into what's relevant to them, what bothers them, what motivates them. So I have a connection to the real world through the interviews that I'm doing. But then I also attend conferences, academic conferences, but also practitioner conferences. And I talk to HR professionals about the type of topics that 
are important for them at that point of time. And then I see whether for some of the topics or some of the questions that they have, I can provide answers through my, through my research. And sometimes um, the challenges that they face in their work or the questions that they have that motivate me to start new research projects and kind of venture into new areas because I realize, hey, I don't have an answer. Research doesn't have an answer. So let's, let's start a project. Let's find out. Um, so that connection to the practitioners goes both ways. Like I'll give back in terms of recommendations, but I also get lots of insights into what is actually relevant and motivating for them to, to learn about. Mm, it makes a lot of sense. Is there any key moment that comes to mind where you had that aha moment? Like, oh, I need to dig deeper here. I've recently started to work a lot more on diversity and inclusion. And I've had a conversation with uh, an, a person just recently and he basically told me, hey, we know a lot about like gender diversity. We know a lot about LGBT diversity and how we can facilitate the work environment and be inclusive for LGBT plus people. He said, I have no research found that helps us to understand neurodiverse people um, in, the, in, in the work environment. I told him, I don't believe that's true. But then I checked myself, I was like, yeah, that's true. We have very little information about the type of work context that people with neurodiverse disabilities need in order to thrive. So I spoke to him, said, hey, do you want to start working on that together? Let's see what we can get. Let's interview people and let's see whether we can implement some policies or develop some policies, develop some recommendations for that specific group of the workforce, which to be very fair, has like very, very high potential, um, often needs a bit of adaptation in their, in their work environment to fully succeed. And that platform has not been given enough to people with neurodiverse disabilities. So that's kind of a recent story where actually my interest in a topic was triggered by someone from the field. That's great to hear. And, and we have several professors at ESCP who are having these conversations around, um, I believe it's called a, like a design science approach to research, where it's looking at not just explaining what's going on, but then how we how you can apply it and the how. So coming up with these problems and being like, okay, well, I'm an academic. I have the cap capacity to dive deeper into this. I can figure out what we can do to really understand and to harness the potential of everyone in the workplace. So yeah. that's a really great example. In regards to diversity, this is something that you carry through what you do at ESCP, uh, both in your research, but also in your teaching and in your other academic uh, responsibilities. Would you like to talk a little bit more about perhaps your role as the academic director of our LGBT plus leadership certificate? Yes, absolutely. Um, I am very passionate about creating inclusive work environments. And a few years ago, we realized that there is a need for people from the LGBT community to, to get together and share their experiences in terms of being leaders and being also leaders of change and um, leading their own teams in an inclusive way. So I sat together with a colleague of mine, Stefan Schmuck, and we designed a program that is tapping exactly into this need. Like we're bringing together people from the LGBT community. We help them understand their own career path and then we enable them to become inclusive leaders themselves. Because what we often see is that people from the LGBT community, they have had to face stereotypes, like societal stereotypes about who they are, what they can bring. and dealing with those stereotypes and interacting with those stereotypes often let them to reflect upon who they are and we want them to be able to share that knowledge with their own team and then maybe more broadly within their within their organizations 
Absolutely. Do you feel that when it comes to the potential impact of business schools and academic research, that diversity is a is a horizon that should be prioritized? Um, where there's yeah, <laughs> there are many different important topics um, in that I believe business schools should be addressing, like sustainability is a key one. Then data digitalization, another very, very important topic. But from my own background, I'm very much advocating diversity and inclusion as one of the key pillars for, for any good business school. Because I believe that if we are not able to teach our younger student the value of being inclusive and the importance of overcoming stereotypes. Some of them are inherited when they were like five years old, right? Um, if we don't teach that to our students, we cannot make the world a better place. And uh, I believe that as academics in a business school, one of our key pillars should be the question like how can we improve the world, not only in terms of you know profit, but also in terms of inclusion value sets. Hmm. Would it be right if I said that inclusion is also transversal in the sense that it, it does impact sustainability, it also impacts the digital scape. We talk, for example, about bias in AI as a major topic right now. You know, creating that ground level of inclusion can allow us to even further innovate and enhance performance when it comes in those other directions. Yes, absolutely. I would fully agree to that. Do you have any concrete examples of when you've been able to actually see your research expertise put into practice, maybe within your executive education classes or perhaps with a company or a client that you've worked with? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been working with a volunteering organization in Germany for quite some time, and they asked me to take a look at how engaged their volunteers are, which is one of you know, my core research areas, people's levels of engagement, in that case, like volunteers' level of engagement. So we did a big survey, several big surveys, to find out to what extent are volunteers engaged and to what extent also do they feel they are part of that organization as volunteers. And I was able through the research to derive some key findings into, in terms of you know, what is important, what should the organization emphasize, like the, the mission is quite important. Interestingly enough in that organization, team cohesiveness was quite important. So we understood that volunteers come to volunteering because they believe in the mission of the organization, but they also like to be with other like-minded volunteers. And that was one of the key feedback that we gave to the organization. And they started to implement workshops around those topics in order to create or focus much more on, on emphasizing, communicating um, mission and, and cohesiveness and creating an environment where people could really work together. What we also learned as part of the, uh, as part of the research is that there was a bit of a difference with regards to feeling included in the organization between more older type of volunteers, like the typical volunteers, um, and then younger volunteers that wanted to be included, but oftentimes didn't feel that they have the opportunities to speak up and say something. And that was another important feedback that we could give to the organization. It's like, you know, try to also design strategies to make sure that younger volunteers, the 30-year-olds who have got families who might not be as available as the 65-year-old, but still fully interested in contributing, develop strategies 
strategies to enable them to com to commit to the organization to and to find a place in the organization and dedicate their volunteering time. So that is a very specific example of how our research is really helping the organization to shape some practices, implement some workshops, rethink what the volunteering community is, is for them. It's really interesting to see how academic research can be applied to so many different contexts or communities. So obviously volunteering from what you just said. You mentioned earlier that you've been also studying like freelance workers. I'm curious if in these different groups that you've been looking at and let's say the common, using air quotes, common worker in the workplace, how have, is there any insights that you've brought forth from studying these different communities that you see as sort of an overall shared experience that, that we can learn from? One of the key things that I see when I look across the different type of research that I've done is um, coming back to what we've discussed before, the notion of meaningfulness. I do believe that the vast majority of people want to do something that is of importance to them, that is meaningful to them, where they feel that they're doing something something that has a longer lasting impact. So sometimes I read kind of statistics about how everybody is, you know, detached from work and um, you know, detached from life. And when I specifically have the interviews, um, I don't share that perception at all. What I often see is that people are in the wrong spot um, or that they have been disappointed by their organization, by their line manager, by the volunteering community that they have experienced issues around trust, which led them to be cynical or detached sometimes from their work. But what I would say I perceive in almost all people I talk to, and that's also something that is coming out of the service that we do, is a wish to be able to contribute. And I think that's actually, you know, for me, a very nice message that um, workers, volunteers, freelancers are not cynical. They have been disappointed maybe in the past, but they're willing to contribute. And that's part of human human nature. I mean, we spend a vast portion of our of our life at work, and most people want that to be a meaningful and important part. I'm not going to dive into the element of trust because quick plug, well, we are all, we have also spoken with Kirsten Alfez uh, about trust in the workplace, which you listeners can listen to on ESCP's podcast page. It is a part of our ESCP live series and it's called Trust Issues, Overcoming Challenges with Trust in the Modern Workplace. Now, I'm wondering instead if we can turn meaningfulness back around to you. I can imagine there might be some times where you doubt or become cynical about the world of academia. How do you maintain this notion of meaningfulness and stay centered in your research and what you do? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's true. There are times when, when there are like tougher parts of the job that need to, need to be executed. I do tend to give myself some time. So when there are kind of parts of my work life where I feel, mm, what, what am I doing? What's the purpose of that? Sometimes I feel like giving oneself a little bit of time to breathe, stepping back helps to refocus. And then I go back to why I actually chose the profession that I'm in. And I start to remind myself of what is it that I liked that, about that job when I was first um, choosing or aiming to become a professor. And that kind of reconnection to, you know, what was it that initially brought me here? is really helpful in terms of making clear to me what, what's meaningful about my job when, you know, sometimes in tough times, I've maybe forgotten a little bit about it. Mm. That's nice. You can apply your own research to yes. yourself <laughs> <laughs> to keep yourself on track. That's great. Um, when it comes to, you know, 
the meaningfulness of your job, as we've talked about throughout this podcast again, it's seeing that impact that you can bring. What for you, you mentioned these different ways that you connect with the community. You go to conferences, you teach in classes. When it comes to bringing that impact and sharing what you do, what do you find to be the most useful tools for a professor, for an academic, to getting your work out there and reaching the right people? I do believe that conferences are quite useful because it's, uh, it enables me to talk to a lot of people at the, at the same time and then also network with those um, where maybe the research is, is very relevant at the specific moment of time. I also believe that LinkedIn is a great tool to reach out to the community. So whenever there is like new findings, whenever there is um, insights from the research that I, haven't, that I haven't shared, I often use LinkedIn to reach out to a wider range of, of people. And I also believe it's important that we as academics um, start to publish in everyday journals and newspapers. So we are kind of trained to publish in top, top, top tier journals. Unfortunately, the people outside the academia rarely read those top, top, top tier publications. And I believe that it's on us to make a transfer to say, hey, this is the publication for the academic community. And now I'll take part of that and rework it, rewrite it, and make it accessible in other outlets, other newspaper outlets, um, to the practitioner community who does read a very different, uh, very different type of, of media. Absolutely. We have to find those resources that are going to get it to the right people. And it requires, and it's part of my job at ESCP, is helping our professors yeah. <laughs> get their research in front of the right people and, and make it as accessible as possible. So thank you for sharing that advice, which I hope would be useful to other researchers, other perhaps young academics who are starting out in the field. And I guess my last question I'd love to ask is, this podcast is also dedicated for fellow researchers, maybe other young academics, as I said, who are coming up into the field. Do you have any other tips when it comes to approaching business education and academia with a goal for impact? My key advice would be don't be afraid to talk to the community. Like at the time when I started my PhD, I often saw that there is like a divide between the academics and the practitioners and I see that divide closing and I know that a lot of my colleagues work on closing that, that divide. Go out into the field, talk to practitioners, find out what the burning topics are, see how you can connect your research to the topics that are of interest to them. And also we've recently had a publication workshop um, on our campus in Berlin and one of the things that I feel are changing in the academic community is a need to be more visible. So that would be like another advice for younger scholars, you know, work on your profile, be visible on LinkedIn, post, um, advertise your research, share. So make it accessible to, to more people. That would be maybe the second piece of advice that I'd like to give. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us and for taking the time to talk with us for Brace the Podcast. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. On behalf of ESCP, thank you for choosing us for this journey towards knowledge.